meditation, 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 depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice calm. I can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast, a podcast where we explore topics on Buddhist meditation and maintaining a meditation practice amidst living in a busy world. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Remembering to Stay Human. This episode will explore how meditation can be seen as an act of loving kindness that helps calm the turmoil and build resilience and emotional balance. We can look into the face of our fear and recognize anxiety-based behaviors that actually increase fear and isolation and turn instead towards healing and reconnection. Today we are joined by Joseph Mauricio. Joe is a longtime student of Shambhala Buddhism as well as an author, speaker, coach, teacher, and chaplain. As the founder of LifeWork Mindfulness-Based Coaching Services, Joe offers Buddhist and Shambhala training principles to help private and corporate clients manifest lives of dignity, sanity, and strength. The Meditation in the City podcast is hosted by the Shambhala Meditation Center of New York. Here's Joe to take away the discussion. The talk today is about the idea that we can um, come into contact with ourselves as a way of developing the confidence to navigate a very crazy world. I was looking outside my window today and it was amazing to see goblins and angels cavorting together, right? As if they always existed together, you know? It was amazing to see little superheroes and little demons (laughs) and murderers. It was amazing to see corpses and angels. All of these archetypes archetypes of Armageddon (laughs) sort of walking together with smiles and laughter and joy, you know? And it seems a little odd to kind of smile at that in this day and age, but in a way, that's exactly what Halloween, I believe, was intended or where it came from is an idea that we could poke fun at, celebrate, and actually even enjoy the things that we're frightened of so that we feel that we have some kind of mastery over them. And civilizations have been doing that for millennia, this idea that we could celebrate the very things that we're frightened of, Day of the Dead, etc so that we feel like we have some way to relate to these things. Some people might even believe they have some control over these things, but I don't believe that's necessarily a Buddhist point of view. I would suggest instead that we just accept these things and learn that there's great power in acceptance. That acceptance of the evil in the world, the difficulty in the world, the struggles in the world, is not resignation. It doesn't mean we're just, oh yeah, okay. Oy vey. I'll sit here in the dark. It's not that. Space can be quite empowering. 
It could be quite wakeful. It just means that we don't have to react negatively to negativity. So when times get tough, we could reprogram ourselves to actually be supportive and kind to ourselves. When our world gets difficult, we can, instead of going down that rabbit hole of self-abuse, which is what ultimately happens sometimes, I, I believe a lot of the time, we could actually redirect that impulse and go, oh, okay, of course, it's a difficult time right now. I need to be kind to myself. I need to be kind to my family. I need to be open to my world, not more shut down because of my fear. So there's an interesting thing that happens when we're fearful. And fear is a very old experience among humanity. It may be as old as humanity itself. It's kind of a primordial feeling, and it is a mistake to believe that it's a problem when we're fearful. It's a wake-up call. It's like, okay, pay attention here. And if we can go a step further, and via our meditation practice, that is coming back repeatedly to the heart, to our own self-support, to our own connection, to our basic goodness, that coming back to that, we can actually redirect the impulse in time to allow fear to just open us up. Does that sound crazy? Because fear normally shuts us down, but here's the irony. It shuts us down in this attempt to protect ourselves when actually being a ball of tension is no protection at all. When in fact, if we wanted to protect ourselves, being awake and present and open would be the best protection. So that system is an ancient system that was designed pretty much to protect against tusks or venom or spikes. <laughs> you know, like when we actually had to gird ourselves to keep, you know, from being stabbed or hurt, but that's not actually characteristic of our life today. Our life today, the danger is quite different. And it, it takes a kind of attention to be able to navigate that danger. That tension belies, right? So attention is an opening up energetically to what's happening. Tension is beginning to clamp down and separate out. Out of fear, we separate out. Now, you could try this very much at home, experiment with it yourself. You could even do it right now. You could think of an ex that irritates you and are you immediately pulling in your stomach, bringing your shoulders up. You could think of pressure at work and how that begins to play on our body. Right. I had a, a psychotherapist, Bernie. I love to do imitations of Bernie. I, I try to do that in every talk. Bernie would say, tension is like bowling with God. Wow, what does that mean? Well, it's like when you bowl, you 
try to do this so that the ball doesn't go in the gutter, right? So tension is this idea that we're constantly trying to push and pull our experience because we want to control our experience. There's a lot said in Buddhist theory, in meditation theory, and also in many other traditions about ego and the role of ego in our discomfort and unhappiness. And ego is a very, like fear, important fundamental aspect of our psychology. It, it's there to protect us. It's the protective mechanism, if you will, of the mind. You know, everybody's is a little bit different. Intellects go right up to their brain to figure everything out. Physical people go into their body, but we all have some place that we react against fear. React against fear. As opposed to relaxing and responding to the fear. It's interesting, okay? Sounds a little crazy. Like somebody's banging on your door. Relax. <laughs> somebody's screaming in the other room. Relax. Something is happening in your world that is causing you to worry. You perk up and relax and bring your attention into the present moment. That is the best thing to do. That's exactly what um, sports great, great athletes do, right? So great athletes put their bodies through extreme stress and extreme conditions, right? And actually find a rhythm and a comfortableness. The game slows down for them, so to speak. So they are frequently in touch and in tune with the flow of their practice, if you will, their sport or their music. And I think the same is true of great musicians. Anybody that you'd look at and go, how do they do that? And just assume that if you were to do that, <laughs> you would be all tense, and pushing really hard when in fact, they don't do that. You know, it's, I once saw a demonstration by a guitarist, a, a heavy music guitarist who was showing how he played these incredibly fast shredding runs with complete effortlessness and just openness. And then he did his impersonation of the way people think it is done when they hear the music, which is all these gyrations and all this tension and stuff. None of that helps the music. None of that helps the movement of the fingers on the strings. Just as none of the tension in our body actually helps anything that we do in our life. What's happening is we're trying to become different than who we are or better than who we are bigger than who we are because we don't trust who we are. We don't believe in who we are. We think it's a bad thing. And like, especially if we're into the path of meditation and we take this idea that ego is bad and so we should be selfless completely. Well, okay, but what about the part of us that desperately needs support and encouragement? What's wrong with that? 
I want to suggest that that's actually the kind of energy that allows us to move past the ego. It's developing what's called unconditioned confidence. Unconditioned confidence is different than confidence on basically what watch you're wearing or what clothes you're wearing or who you hang out with or whether you get past the velvet ropes. That kind of confidence is short-lived and it will never really last. But the confidence that comes from regular, consistent meditation practice coming back to the breath, which is coming back to the heart, which is coming back to our humanity, that confidence that is born of self-knowledge and self-trust is kind of indomitable. Then whatever happens, whatever happens to the stock market or whatever happens to the environment, we can come back to this sense of goodness, kindness and comfort in ourselves. I'm not suggesting that it's a way of dissociating from the problems of the world. I am someone that believes I'm not speaking for Shambhala here or anybody else, but I personally believe that real engagement in the issues of the world is actually a great way to relax into it because it gives me and my fearful self feeling that I'm doing something, that I'm paying attention, that maybe I'm making a difference. I'm going to vote on Tuesday or a week from Tuesday. I'm going to pay attention to what happens at that vote. And not everybody needs to do that or wants to do that. And I understand that. And that everybody's going to vote the way I'm going to vote. We all have our own idea of engagement. But one thing I don't want to do is make myself sick if I don't get my way. Make myself depleted and discouraged and unhappy if for some reason things are different than I expect them to be. Because guess what? Things are always different than you expect them to be. Expectation is like setting yourself up for failure. I mean, it's impossible to avoid. It's what our brain does, but we don't have to believe everything our brain does. Vajrayana Buddhist teachings, excuse me for a second, suggests that good and bad, the evil and the goodness in the world all become heightened at certain times and certain rhythms and that we're in coming into one of those rhythms where everything is kind of peaking and becoming sort of together. So it's really is a challenging time. It, it's challenging. And a lot of us experience a certain existential dread because of it. The environment, politics, wars, rumors of wars. I like to say it's like Armageddon as written by Stephen King. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big production and it's frightening to listen to the news. And, it's frightening to live in the world where we are raising children or trying to find and nurture a good, serene and open heart. 
you know? Those are challenges, but they're not impossibilities. In fact, it's actually incumbent upon us as humans to be able to really rise up to what we do. And if we cave in and react to our fear by lashing out, by believing stupid stories, by blaming other people, then if we live in that world, then we are isolating ourselves. We're becoming kind of like incels in our own mind, psychologically and spiritually, and we're not getting out and becoming engaged and helpful to anyone else. And that creates a kind of festering, like we just fester in our space. The idea is that fear actually could be a stepping stone that leads us beyond that little closed-in space. One of the terms that's used in Chabala Buddhism, coined by the founder, but I think used in other spiritual traditions, is the idea of a cocoon, like looking at ego as though it's a cocoon that protects us. That's like a little batting, and we kind of lock ourselves into that little self-contained space. And we have this hall of mirrors, and we only have our own opinions or what we hear on the internet, right? We've lost the ability to feel. We've lost the ability sometimes to actually be tangibly connected to our world. And that, that's what we want to get back, you know, as meditation practitioners, is make a commitment that meditation will be the cornerstone of us finding a sense of liberation. I know that's a big word that should almost have like trumpets. <laughs> liberation, but liberation just means we're getting off our own backs taking off the cloak of our defensive reactivity and becoming open, responsive, responsible people. And responsibility, social, in relationships, hinges on that well word response, right? Our ability to respond. And our ability to react <laughs> thwarts that ability to respond. So I want to make a little binary here at the end of the talk. So we're done here. Thank you for your patience. But I want to posit a little binary that we could shut down and close off and feel the tension in our body. And as a take home, I want you to suggest doing that. When your partner says something that irritates you, notice, does it go into your body? Are you pulling away? Or if somebody touches you in the back in a loving way, do you relax and open? And in fact, can we gain a modicum of control over this so that maybe when we're affronted, we could relax and begin to navigate the fear and the difficulty? So it's said that moving out of our cocoon is a fearful experience because the cocoon is there to protect us, but it will also kill us because if you don't leave the nest, the nest becomes pretty repugnant, you know? It becomes like time to go. And on some level, stepping out spiritually, maybe all we need to do, we may not have to leave our house or actually go and 
hiking or go to different places, we may need to be very contained in our environments, but we could find a kind of spiritual freedom by remembering the power of our humanity. That coming back to the heart is coming back to our humanity. In the Shambhala tradition, we call it basic goodness, this fundamental sense that there's a goodness inside all of us that communicates. But the founder of Shambhala, Chirgim Trump Rinpoche, said that that was our humanity. That was our basic human birthright. And it's very interesting because on a functional level, if you attack somebody out of defensiveness, then you're going to see the worst in them. And we do that again and again, over and over. But conversely, if you treat somebody with dignity and respect, then you'll see the best in them. And offering your basic goodness, opening your heart might allow you to see theirs. And then there's a real human connection real connection based on respect and dignity. Returning to the present is training ourselves to return to ourselves, which is training ourselves to be here with our own human dignity. And I'm not trying to be Pollyanna because I may be talking specifically about people who don't deserve you to relate to them as basically good. But yet if you were to do that, it would give you the best way of approaching the situation because you'd be disarming them a little bit, but allowing them to be the best part of themselves. I suppose that's existent in many traditions, turn the other cheek, but again, it, Acceptance is not resignation. Turning the other cheek is not an act of masochism. It's an act of strength. Acceptance is an act of strength. It's saying, I have become so comfortable with myself that I now have the confidence to be able to be with all of this stuff and just be here and keep coming back to my basic feeling of good open heart, my feeling of my own basic goodness and the belief that I can find it in the world around me. It's a thought. Learning to feel love for ourselves, we can step from the protective isolation of our cocoon and engender love for ourselves and each other. Each time we turn to our heart, we are stepping out of our heads and back into our humanity. Then no matter how crazy the world is, we can return to a sane and powerful balance within our own heart. From that point of view, we can offer that solid sanity and balance to a world that very much needs it. So coming back to the breath, really all we need to do making a commitment to let our meditation practice be the cornerstone 
of our experience in our life. Just a thought anyway. There's also a number of ways that you could be supported on this journey in lots of different meditation communities. But Shambhala in particular has a lot of stuff on their website. You could check out and you could look into a lot of um, from Learn to Meditate, which is a great class, even if you know how to meditate, to just take and sharpen up to um, the weekly Dharma gatherings, which are happening every other week with lots of interesting people that come in and present a different point of view, non-cookie cutter approach that we take here, sort of everybody sort of showing a little bit of their thing. And also reaching out and seeing if you can, you know, get more instruction, get more guidance. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Shambhala NYC also offers a variety of meditation courses for meditators of all levels. Check out our upcoming programs at shambhalanyc.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.